Before we read, I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the blessings you've given us. Thank you for the life that you've given us. I ask you, God, that uh, you just keep protecting and guarding us and help us see that our lives could be drastically different if not for your grace. I ask you, Lord, that uh, you be with me as we uh, dive into your word, God, that you give me words to say. God, that you be with all of us, God, that you give us ears to hear. And God, that you uh, give us the faith to expect you to do something supernatural in our midst. Anytime we gather, uh, that you're here with us, and that is miraculous. In Jesus' name we pray, we all said, Amen. Amen. So we're looking at Psalms 134 today, and I'm just going to be very transparent and upfront. The reason we're looking at Psalms 134 is that he alluded to, I'm preaching next week, at LCF. And he said, you know what? You the same message. We don't want to burden you. Just come in, preach the exact same message. So we're just going to be very upfront. That's exactly what we're doing. Uh, if you hear this again, because you're like, hey, I'm going to go find him on Facebook. And you hit follow, and you see me preaching next week, and it pops up on a live stream, and you hear this, you're like, what's going on? Full transparency. You guys get it first. Uh, but this is exactly what we're doing. Yeah, so y'all get the first take. Um, it's probably going to by far be the best take because I'm going to think, did I really mean to say that? And it's going to be what God wanted me to say, and I'm probably going to edit it. And trust me, this one will be better. But full transparency, that's what we're doing. But Psalms 134 says, Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Again, I also want to put that like, why in the world would a guest speaker pick Psalms 134, three verses to preach on? Well, at LCF, we are finishing every January, we do a psalm. Every Sunday is a psalm. And uh, we are finishing the uh, Psalms of Ascent, which is 120 to 134. And uh, I drew 134 on my week to preach. And uh, here we are. And for the Psalms of Ascent, if you're like me, you're like, what does that mean? Like, I see that in my Bible when I read it, but I really don't know what a Psalms of Ascent mean. And you're not alone. I did not know what this meant either until I looked it up and was studying for this message. The Psalms of Ascent are, were sung by the Jews as they made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate three festivals every year. Those three festivals was Passover, Pentecost, and the, festi- the festival there, the tabernacle. These songs begin in Psalms 120 as sojourners on their way to the temple. And it ends fittingly with them worshiping God in the temple. So if we think of today's times, this would have been their little playlist. Uh, If we think maybe just a little bit back, it was their hymnal. It was the songs that they would have went in with uh, to expect to meet God at their festivals uh, as they made the journey to Jerusalem. Uh, three times a year. So as uh, we look at that, let's keep that in mind. That's where we find this in Scripture. Uh, that's exactly where we are. And uh, this one picks up with reading about a call or people to come bless the Lord. And if you're like me, you hear, come bless the Lord. You're like, wait a minute. He's the one who blesses us. He's the one who gives us things. He's the one who gave us mercy and grace when we didn't deserve it. How am I to bless him? Well, first, uh, before we tackle that question, let's look at who he's talking to uh, in this psalm before we dive into that. 
Uh, we see here that it says the servants. Uh, the servants are to bless the Lord. And there's two major views on what this means. Some would say it was every Jew journeying to Israel. Everyone on this pilgrimage would have been the servants of God. And I'm not going to say that view is false. But it seems that maybe the better view of this is that this would have been the priest. It would have been the sons of Aaron. It would have been those who come from the Levitical line who worked in the temple, who was preparing uh, the sacrifices. So as we look at that, we're looking at this was talking about the priest, of those in the temple that come and bless the Lord. And then he does switch it to, and then when he says, may he bless you, this is more of a general you to all people. And if we look at that, it was a singular and it goes to a plural in Hebrew. So when we look at this, there's a lot of evidence here that would say the first part, he's just speaking to the priest. Priests, come bless God day in and day out at night, and then he will bless you. So for some of us, we may have already tuned out now because we realize this does not apply to a majority of people in this room. We all take that mindset, don't we? Well, I'm not serving in a ministry, or I'm not helping stack chairs, or I'm not leading a small group, so I don't really have to apply anything in this next part about me because this was written for someone else. A lot of us do that, don't we? We look for any excuse we can to say, well, that command doesn't really apply to me. It's exactly what the serpent does to Eve and Adam in the garden. Did God really say And then maybe some of us are like, well, I do lead a ministry here, but you know what? I'm not the pastor. So I don't need to worry about what was said. We do this all the time to try to escape serving God. We make excuses because more than we make excuses because we want to worship and serve God on our own time, on our own terms, when it's convenient for us. We don't want to do it when it requires sacrifice. And I'm not being mean, I'm just being very transparent and talking about who I am. If I have the choice of picking selfish pride over serving, you know what I'm going to pick most of the time? Do I really need to make that visit? Do I really need to make that phone call? I'd much rather call someone who's going to help me than me help them. I'd much rather sleep in, or I'd much rather have that second cup of coffee and the coziness of my couch than having to go set up. We want to worship God, and uh, we want to put it on our terms, on our time. And that sounds really good. Uh, I get to do what I want. The problem is God is God, and we're not. Uh, We don't get to determine how we worship God. See, I like a sovereign God, and you're probably like me in this. I like the idea of having a very sovereign God. Like, as completely sovereign, who holds every molecule in place with his victorious hand. Like, I love that picture until it requires me to worship him the way he wants me to. When it requires that that sovereign king gets to control and dictate how I follow him, that's when sometimes it hurts our flesh, isn't it? When it's no longer, well, he's sovereign and he holds everything good, but when it comes time for me to have to serve him, he also holds the terms of that contract. But he's the king of the universe. He's the creator of all things. Paul says he controls all things and all things are held together by him and through him. So I don't get to come to him when it benefits me. 
and decide how I serve him. When it comes time to worship him, he's the only sovereign king who speaks earth into existence. And while I want to make the rules, he was the rule maker. While I want to barter with him, in reality, he owns the goods that I try to offer. When I want to find biblical loopholes where those rules apply to someone else, I can't even do that. Because as New Testament believers, if you and I look at this and say, well, yes, this means that the priests are the ones who are supposed to go to the temple and raise their hands and bless God day in and day out. That would then mean, well, who are priests today? And if we look at what Peter says, it would say 1 Peter 1, chapter 2, verse 3, or starting at verse 3, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So let's simplify that. If you're a child of God, And you've came to him. You are a living stone rejected by man in the sight of God, chosen, precious. You yourself, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Peter would say, if any of us have tasted and saw that the Lord is good, if any of us have tasted and saw that he is good, that we are living stones chosen by him, that he has made us a spiritual house and a royal priesthood. Meaning that if we've been saved by faith and God has chosen us to be his royal race, that means that we are also part of his priesthood. For this, Peter tells readers of this letter, a letter to those who are sojourners in a place that's not their home, which is us. We're in a place that's not our home. Uh, We are longing for a better heaven, or for a new heaven and a new earth, a place where we will spend eternity. We're pilgrims in a land that's not quite ours yet. And God, through Peter, calls us to make spiritual sacrifices. And the only way that we even get to make these sacrifices is because Christ first made the first sacrifice. So if you ask you this, if we ask this question, why? Why would he do that? Peter answers it in a few verses later. Verse 9 in the same chapter. For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. At one point, you and I were not adopted heirs of Christ. We were dead in sin. We were not part of his kingdom that's coming. But Christ died for you and me so that we might be took out of the darkness and put in his light so that we could be took out of sin and be given life. We are now his people. We are now a chosen race. We are now a royal priesthood that he is making into a holy nation. So according to the psalm, we are to bless God. Now we get to tackle that. What in the world does blessing God mean? So I'm the son of a retired coal miner who inherited a house, meaning my dad never had a house payment, uh, and he was a coal miner. So to say that he had money, growing up in coal country, most of you all know the answer was yes. Um, when it came time to buy Christmas gifts or Father's Day gifts, what do you buy the man who doesn't need or want for anything? 
if he had if he wanted it, he had it. If he needed it, we've already had it probably more than we needed. Um, there was nothing that we could get him that he didn't have already. Until I had a daughter and I was able to print him off pictures of her and put them in frames and canvases. And then I finally could give him something that he wanted that he didn't have. And before that, I would just buy flashlights. Because I had no clue what to buy my dad. And this may seem like, oh man, Chris is having an ADHD moment. He should have took his medicine last night. But that isn't it. This goes back to how do we bless God? The ultimate blesser. The one who first blessed us. How do we bless the person who has everything, who is king, who is all-powerful, all-knowing? How do we bless him? Psalms 50 tells us that he has cows on a thousand hills. That doesn't mean that if you go to the thousand and first hill that those cows aren't God. No, it's poetic to say that God owns everything. Every cow and every hill and every nation. God has it. So when we think of blessing and we think of blessing means that we are helping someone, whether it's with money or we're helping them move or we give them grace and we extend forgiveness. How do we bless God? Because when God blessed us, he empowered us, he adopted us, he made us heirs, he made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, he made us alive when once we were dead, he rescued us and freed us from sin. How do we bless him? When God blessed us, he gave us something that we didn't have to make us better, to make us whole. So when we bless God, are we to empower him? Are we making him stronger? Are we to make the sovereign more sovereign? No, because we can't. You and I cannot add to God's fame or his worth or his power or his holiness. He is the the omnipotent king who is strong. We can't add to God. We can't bless God by giving him something he doesn't already have. For even the breath in our lungs is a gift by him. No, when God blesses us, he does make us better. But when we bless and when we bless someone else, we oftentimes make them better or help them. But when we bless God, we are not making him better. We cannot. He's already perfect. He cannot change. So if he's unchanging and he's already perfect, we can't add to it and we can't change him. We bless him then by praising his name. John Piper says on this topic, we don't make God larger or higher. So to bless God means to recognize his great riches, his strength and his gracious bounty, and to express our gratitude and delight in seeing and experiencing it. So what does it mean to bless God? Let's take a look at two places in Scripture. The first is Psalms 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. To bless God means that we thank him for what he's already blessed us with. First Chronicles 29.10, we get to see what David does. It says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. To, bre- to bless God, we tell the blesser that we are thankful that he blessed us. 
We praise him for making us a chosen race and a royal priesthood. And the overarching theme of this psalm and the songs of ascent, and in fact, the whole book of Psalms, is that God deserves worship. We would all say, yes, that God deserves worship, right? But it's not God just deserves worship at some times, but that he deserves worship at all times. For we do not bless God because we are able to make him better or more glorious or anything. We bless him because he's the blesser. We lift his name up because he lifted us up. We don't worship God on our time, our terms, and even our circumstances. They don't get to determine if God deserves worship. God's never changing. So if he deserved it once, he deserves it always. So I'm a huge football fan. Like, I love it. Uh, And if you don't, that's okay. My Saturdays and Sundays are better than yours in the fall. Uh, I'll pray for you. But, like, I love football. I... College football, my favorite. I do like the NFL, though. And uh, maybe if you're a football fan, you'll remember this. The 2016 Super Bowl. It was the Carolina Panthers versus the Broncos. And the Carolina Panthers were led by Cam Newton. They might be some fans in here, and they might get really offended at this analogy. But Cam Newton had such an amazing year that year. Uh, If you watched it. Man, I worked with Youth Little League and coached soccer you couldn't go to a Little League game and not see someone do the Cam Newton celebration. I could be coaching soccer of five-year-olds, and they would be little girls out there who would just tackle some boy, because, you know, girls are usually stronger than boys at that age, and lay them out, and they would just stand over them like I'm Superman. Like, he changed sports, it seemed like. He scored a ton of touchdowns, both passing and rushing. And Cam danced, and he owned that Superman celebration after every big play. It was contagious. However, in the Super Bowl, a linebacker for the Broncos named Von Miller won MVP. Anytime that a linebacker wins MVP, it's a bad day for the offense of the other team. Um, It's not that it was a shootout. No, no. The linebacker won, meaning it was probably destruction. And so Von Miller wins this MVP. I don't want to say they shut Cam down because they did have 10 points, but they shut Cam down. Cam didn't dance in the Super Bowl. And the old saying from Miami in the 80s is, if you don't like watching us dance, don't let us score. Don't let us in the end zone and we won't dance. And on the biggest stage in all of sports, Cam got shut down and didn't dance. In fact, after the game, there were interviews going on. And Von Miller says that in the interview. And somebody put Cam Newton and Von Miller in earshot at the same time, both doing interviews. And Cam Newton walks off stage and doesn't even finish the interview. The circumstances of the Super Bowl caused Cam Newton not to dance. Our circumstances can change a lot of what we do. We don't spend money in recessions. We don't go on road trips when gas is high. Uh, We don't leave the house when there's snow, right? Uh, We don't have a lot of laughs and smiles when the doctor gives bad news. But you know what doesn't change? God. God always deserves worship. He's not changing. At day and at night and highs and lows and mountains and valleys. And Sunday mornings and even Saturday nights. God deserves worship from his royal priesthood. We can't let our circumstances 
determine if he deserves worship. If the truth is told, our bad times are better than what they should be and what they would be without him. I'm sure all of us can think back to times where if left to our own devices or our own stupidity, whether it's on the road or choices, our life could be drastically different. But by the grace of God, it isn't. He is unchanging. Because of that, we lift our hands to him, maybe as a service, but more as worship because of what he's done for us. We lift our hands and praise him. We are able and allowed to bless God and lift our hands to him. And we know what a blessing he is and and we proclaim his goodness and to lift our hands to him. And yet we fail at a task so simple more than we pass it, don't we? If we're graded and we're honest, if someone audits us, we fail that task more than we pass it. You know, and a lot of times we read the Old Testament and we look at all these foreshadowments of Jesus, right? And we say, this is how Joshua was like Jesus, or this is how Moses was like Jesus. And we get to see them point us towards a better Messiah. Sometimes, though, we look back and we see Israel and we go, you know what? Israel did what we shouldn't do. They serve as a purpose and as a reminder of what we shouldn't do. And there's probably not much of a better choice of that than Exodus 14, 10 through 14. And for those who may not know Exodus that well, Exodus is about the Israelites who were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And during these 400 years of enslavement, uh, they get treated worse and worse as time goes on. And God finally raises up a leader after hearing their cries named Moses. And while he's leading, raising up this leader, God def- performs 10 plagues and he helps Israel escape their slavery and they're on their way to freedom to give them the promised land that he promised to Abraham. And God literally just killed the firstborn. It was the tenth plague. And they're standing there at the sea and Israel, who was just freed from slavery, this is how they tell God and Moses how they really feel about it because their circumstances look as if Egypt is going to capture them again. So when Pharaoh, this is starting in verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians are marching after them, and they they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you're taking us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not what we have said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And man, a lot of times we put the Old Testament people on blast, or we put the new people on blast, the New Testament people on blast when Peter cuts the guy's ear off, or we see Israel do this stuff where they rebel against God, and we go, we're all guilty of this. I would never right and maybe maybe we're not bold enough to say this out loud but we're bold enough to think it in our hearts i would never if i saw god kill the firstborn of egypt and he rescued us and spared us i would never doubt god man god gave his own son to die on a cross so that you could be adopted and become a royal priest and we doubt that god cares for us in small moments When their circumstance is getting bad, they get mad. And not only do they stop worshiping God, not only are they not lifting their hands and praising God, 
They're cursing God and saying, we would rather die as slaves than be freed with God. And you and I do the same thing. And we can read Exodus or really any book of the Bible and see the brokenness of people and how we fail. And we can say over and over, I would never. No, we do it all the time. God saved us from our own sins and we go back to them. He's the reason that we're in this room today. He's the reason we're alive. He has kept us from the worst things that could have happened up to this point happening. He's delivered us from death. And yet most of the time we don't even lift our hands up to him in praise. He has rescued us from certain death and sin. And truth be told, certain death more than once in this life. We are the equivalent of being rescued by great white sharks in the ocean and complaining that the boat is hot that, put us, that they put us on. This is what we do with God in this life. We would rather swim with the sharks than be in the boat because it may be a little uncomfortable. And this Israel in chapter 14 of Exodus, and that's us on most days. But the thing is, God is unchanging. He deserved worship through it all. At all times, because he never stopped being the sovereign God who is for us. A lot of times I call and vent to some people I go to church with. And, uh, and one of them, she loves telling me this saying over and over. Well, Paul tells us in Romans that God is for us, Chris. You know when you're venting about life, how hard that verse hits you? Well, God is for us. Who could be against us? Hmm. But a lot of times we're like, ex- we're like the Israelites in Exodus. I'd rather die enslaved. At least then I'd feel in control. And many of us may get uncomfortable uh, with this language coming up. Because the last point is that God will bless us. And we've seen the prosperity gospel pollute this world. The false gospel treats God as a genie in a bottle, not as a sovereign king. But we have been blessed. I count my life just living it with my family a blessing. Coming to church a blessing. My life would be worse without God. I'm certain of it. And maybe if you reflect on your youth, or maybe if you reflect on just your drive here this morning, how one thing could have went wrong, or how some of those dumb decisions we've made in the past could have been drastically worse than what they were if not for a good God who had our interest at heart. Maybe you're in here, though, and you're like, you know what? Maybe your life is a blessing. Mine isn't. I don't feel that way. You don't know what I'm walking through. And I'll say, you're right. Some of us may not get to say that and mean it as much as others. But here's what I know Scripture tells us. Revelations 14, 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. For now on, blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest for their labors. In Christ, when we die, we have the ultimate blessing by the ultimate blesser. We will rest. Uh, we don't have to mourn as others mourn in death. Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Again, we have been blessed. 
We've been given every spiritual blessing. Just one more, because we could stay on this forever. And Revelation 19.9 says this, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These words, these are the true words of God. So even when you and I can say, Man, this life doesn't feel like a blessing. Uh, when life seems awful, when our circumstances seem as if a good God wasn't for us, and maybe our friends are telling us to curse God and die like Job's friends. We are blessed as much as anyone can be. The blessings that we have in this room as a royal nation and a chosen, or a chosen race and a royal priesthood and a spiritual house is greater than any other blessing imaginable because it's not perishable. It can't be taken. It's been given and it's ours. We have been made righteous. Christ put on humanity so that he could become sin to satisfy God's wrath for our sins so that you and I could be adopted as heirs into his kingdom. This is why we call ourselves chosen race and a royal priesthood. Let us praise him. Uh, We're going to close in prayer. And uh, two things with this. If you're sitting here and you're like, man, you know what? I have some things that I don't know if God's blessing me in, but I know uh, he could. And lift those up to God. Praise uh, God and ask him to find you. I'm sure there's leaders in this room who would also love to pray with you. But give those to God. And maybe you're in here and you're like, you know what? I understand the words you're saying, but I've never accepted that, that I'm part of a royal priesthood or a holy nation or a chosen race. And that's given freely by Christ. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, open our eyes. Open our eyes to see that you're good. Open our eyes to see that you are blessing us. God, I have no doubt that you're blessing us in ways that we can't even count right now. Not just in one way, but more than one. And God, I'm also not naive enough to know that every person in this room, including myself, has something that they need you to move in. And while we don't deserve it, God, I have no doubt that you can and that you will meet us where we are. Ask you, God, that you give us peace in circumstances that we shouldn't have peace in because you're in control. God, if there's things that are keeping us up at night and we're having those panic attacks and that, those anxiety over deal issues that we're dealing with, God, meet us there. We have major life choices coming up. God, meet us there. Lord, also just show us the areas that we struggle in and help us look more like you. God, open our eyes to how good the gift is of salvation. God, open our eyes to how you're for us. God, that your answers are yes and amen. Uh, Be with us, God, and keep our eyes on you. And help us remember we are a royal priesthood called to bless you day and night. To lift our hands up. And that you will bless us from Zion. In Jesus' name we pray. We said amen.